0: reading this morning is Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Amen.
1: you and to be together. Uh, Father, thank you for the gift of uh, your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the living word. And we pray now that you would come and author and perfect your faith in our hearts. Uh, because we've got communion today. And um, so I'm going to trim my 50 minute sermon down uh, to the bare essentials. Um, and a week ago I was talking about preparing for the glory of the Lord and uh, how God is preparing us. And this morning I wanted to just bring you uh, a few reflections um, from uh, when we were away this summer and a few reflections really about when God moves, how we can prepare ourselves to not get in the way and mess it up. Because I read my Bible and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that when it's planted, it grows into what? The largest tree in the garden. If you ever look at a mustard uh, seed tree, as Jesus would have been describing, it grows sideways and just keeps going. It's so vast. Jesus says um, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that when it's in the, in the batch, it flavours everything and lifts everything. So Jesus um, seemed to be giving an indication that the kingdom just grows and grows and grows. When Jesus gathered the troops up and he said, go into all nations and make disciples of them, teaching them everything I've commanded you, he didn't say, and it will go really well for a couple of hundred years, And then you'll you'll hit, you know, some tough times where the church shrinks. And then you'll hit the Dark Ages and all of that. And then by the time you get to the 21st century, when postmodern secularism is really biting in the West, then it's going to be tough, guys. He didn't give us any of that, did he? He said, go, make disciples of all nations. And this kingdom's going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. He did say that there will be opposition. And that there will be fierce persecution at times. But I think church history tells us that when there's persecution, it does the opposite. Whenever the church is persecuted, as is happening in our world right now, the church grows faster than it was before it was persecuted. So it kind of has the opposite effect. So I'm sort of looking at this thinking, you know, when I was going away, thinking, okay, so if God wants things to grow... And they aren't. And if we really believe that God is more powerful than the devil, then where's the problem? If it's not God, and it's not the devil, where's the problem? <laughs> it's us lot, isn't it? <laughs> and so, um, when I was away, the title for um, that I was thinking about, and I'm you know, this is whistle-stop, I'm afraid, uh, because we've got to break bread and... Um, meet the Lord in that way this morning. But the title I went away with was this. Um, what are the heart characteristics in leaders necessary to sustain a long-term move of God? And I was thinking about leaders, but I was sat in a leadership team of our own, uh, leadership team meeting of our own on Wednesday, and we were talking about, at the moment, we've, on a... Conservative day, got about 350 turning up to worship in one of our churches. And what if God could work in such a way that we grew everybody into such authority and love and grace that those 350 could all lead 350? And then the 350 that they lead, once they've been grown up and transformed, could lead 350. You could change a nation, couldn't you? But paying attention to our hearts and positioning them well seems really, really important. And uh, someone called George Santayana said that he or she who ignores history is bound to repeat it. He or she who ignores history is bound to repeat it. So I just want to refer to a couple of um, interesting insights from our own church history on these islands as God has moved. Now, who's had a Methodist background here? Yeah, one or two of us. Uh, John Wesley, uh, the father of the Methodist movement, uh, lived in the 18th century, and we probably all heard of John Wesley's preaching. I mean, he covered thousands of miles on his own, preaching to thousands on hillsides and fields, a bit like we're going to do next summer uh, up on Chanctonbury Ring. Um, And he was around and uh, releasing the truth of God and the gospel of God and the kingdom of God. He'd be preaching and people would be falling over in the Holy Spirit in his meetings. It was just amazing. But one of the other things he really powerfully did was he formed Methodist societies, And they were basically called holy clubs. A bit like a really powerful home group where people would come together and they'd read the word, they'd deal with their stuff, they'd get their hearts sorted out, they'd position their lives well, and then they'd go and just change change everywhere they went, whether they worked in a factory or in law or in a school or whatever it was. And uh, it was really terrific. Now, um, I always say as a Church of England man, that Wesley went to his grave as an Anglican. Which he did. Wesley was strong. He said, we don't need more denominations. And Wesley formed these societies, formed these holy clubs within the structures of the church. But what happened is, after he died, his kind of inner team couldn't quite cope with what I'm going to call religion. That they saw... In the established church, and a few years go by, and then they formed another denomination. Now, the problem with this is every time we form a new denomination, we unpick John 17 and cause another layer of, you know, all that Jesus needs to do to unite us back together that we might be one. Now, I'm not saying whether that was wrong, and I'm not saying whether the Methodist church should exist, and I'm not saying everybody should be Anglicans. But what I am saying is that the followers of John Wesley looked at religious practice, and t- uh, Paul defines religion in 2 Timothy as form, a form of godliness without its power, and they couldn't cope with it. And they thought, that is just, uh, that is... You know, putrid in the nostrils of the Lord we've got to form our own thing and it will be the real thing and it will be better than everybody else and all of those sorts of things. So in their hearts they feared that God couldn't transform embedded religion and they set off on their own course and here we are today. So it seems to me That when I think about how do we sustain a long-term move of God without leading to repeated extra denominations who are really going to do it properly, all we have to do is trust that the king of glory, as we've just been reading about, is powerful enough to change the murkiest waters, the miriest pit, and to bring light (laughs) into darkness. Does this make any sense to us? You know, he, they were looking, and I'm talking about the church, but think about where we go to work, or think about where we go, but think about where we live in our households, where things are tough at times. You know, if God has promised that he who lives within us is greater than he who is within the world, then it is possible in every situation for light to eclipse darkness. It's not a context. Uh, it's not a contest. But when we look at something and we judge it as being too hard, too difficult, too unbelieving, too religious, then we make a judgment in our hearts, and then we turn away, and we don't allow the Lord to work in that way. And I know it in my own life. I remember when um, you know, I was looking at coming here, and I wasn't thinking about all of you lovely people, But I was thinking about the name on the tin, which is the United Benefits of Ashington, Washington, and Wisdom with Buncton. I was looking at caring for three churchyards and trying to chair three PCCs. And and at 32 years old, I was thinking, this is not what I got into the game for. (laughs) Um, And there's a fear of, will God be able to do the business? Because we're about seeing change, aren't we, as his kingdom comes? When I talk to people like Harry... Jill and Anthony, I saw the fire in their eyes. I knew anything was going to be possible in this place. Forget what it looks like on the outside. What is God doing and what is he saying and what is he placing within us to enable us to bring transformation? Does this make sense? So what are the places in our hearts that we feel are too far for the Lord? People who are too far for the Lord. The church denominations, or the bosses, or the members of our families. Because when we, in our hearts, say that's too far for the Lord, we're partnering with judgment and we're not walking in faith. And my goodness, you know, when you come into the Church of England, you are sometimes put in a sandblaster of religion, form without fa- uh, without power. Religion sounds like you ought to do this, and yet spirit-filled ministry is what is God saying. But there's nothing that dismantles a religious spirit than love. You know, um, and I haven't got the time to go on and see how God is just giving us open doors. You know, we gathered a bunch of leaders. They were just talking about, to talk about South Down's awakening. And a few came, you know, they like sort of walked in like this, you know, definitely with their armor on. You know, who is this? Oh, yeah, br- mm, and all of this. You know, and the team just loved them all night. You know, and this, this one... Um, Catholic guy at the end, who'd at half time given me both barrels on something. Um, at the end, he flung his arms around me and he says, "Count us in, you know. If it's anything like this, we're coming, you know." And it's just—it's love, isn't it? Whereas when he's doing that to me, if I do that to him, then all we do is just do that to each other, <laughs> you know. And no one wins, do they? <laughs> it's just pistols at dawn. Does this make sense? Yeah, I—I I don't know if I've got much more time, but um, maybe, maybe if you're free on a Saturday, I'll walk you through some more ideas that I've got on this stuff. But uh, it's crucial if we're to learn from what God has done before and we're to grow then in response, if we're really to see his kingdom grow and expand. And if, you look at, if you look at the reading I chose, you know, it's one of my favourite, favourite psalms. Uh, because it talks about David seeking to bring the glory of God located in the Ark of the Covenant back to where God really wanted it, in his city, in Jerusalem. And they've already got into a, a spot of bother, yeah, if you know this, uh, these passages from the Old Testament, because they're transporting it back, and everyone's carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and it slips a bit, and one of the priests, Isaiah, tries to reach out and thinks, I better catch it, so we don't want, you know, don't want it to fall and break. He touches it and he perishes. And they're all freaked out because the Lord said you must not touch it. So even in their rational sense, they weren't following the commandment of the Lord. And the ark stays at the house of Obed-Edom for a number of years. And there's blessing where the glory of the Lord is as blessing and life. And his house prospers. And eventually David musters up the courage and says, come on, I want the city to be blessed. And I want the presence of God, the glory of the Lord to be in the place that God wants it. And so he sets out. And they basically wrote this song as they were bringing the ark back to the city. And so every five or six steps, they would slay loads of animals and worship in the way that they'd been instructed to and been taught to. And they'd stop every six steps. So can you imagine traveling to Washington and basically having a worship service every six paces? You know, it'd take you a long time, and it took them a long time. But as they neared the city, they basically sang this song, and they sang it responsively. And so, uh, well, I'll come on to the end bit in in the middle, uh, in a minute. But what's interesting is there are sort of three sections to this psalm. The first is the proclamation that God really knows what he's doing, because the earth is the Lord's, and how much in it? Everything in it. So who here owns a mobile phone? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So who here owns a mobile phone? Nobody. It's on loan. We're stewarding what he's given to us. And he might have given you a job that enabled you to buy it for a bit. But the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And isn't some of the stuff that messes up a move of God... When we take too hard a grab on what God is doing and don't trust that he does know what he's doing as we surrender our hearts to him. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, in 2009, I saw Sussex ablaze with the glory of the Lord. I'm not saying that's going to happen this week, next summer, but I do feel just the doors that God has been opening that, He's just going to use this as part of the tapestry he's weaving to reconcile and redeem this land and to bring his kingdom in powerful measure here because he knows what he's doing. The earth is the Lord's and he's in charge and he can work with postmodern secularism and he can work with us lot, warts and all, and he is working with us, warts and all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he says, right, who can come up higher into the plans of the Lord? He He or she who has clean hands, and a pure heart, who never swears deceitfully, never lifts up their soul to an idol, he will receive blessing from God. I talked about holiness last week. You know, if you love Jesus, and you've made him your Lord, you are saved, and his forgiveness covers over all of your stuff, which would keep you from a holy God. What I've found in my life, is that, and particularly building on the foundation of the Father, as I, as I come into greater awareness and intimacy with Father God, what I find is that then he calls me higher. And he begins to say, let's not do that any longer. This is really important to my heart. And so therefore it needs to be important to your heart. And he calls us higher to have clean hands and pure hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God you know it doesn't always mean that we're unsaved but it does mean when our lives are filled with murky stuff we just cannot see and hear him clearly and so he calls us higher to know him and to be entrusted by him to steward what he's calling us to and then the third part is they just begin responsively worshipping to one another and David and the troops five or six steps at a time, are <laughs> calling out, you know, lift up your heads, O you gates. They're basically saying, guys, get ready. and Because the king of glory is coming in. And from the city, they're shouting back, who is this king of glory? And they're, and they're shouting back, he's the Lord, strong and mighty. He is the king of glory. And the city are preparing, the people are coming and they're praying, they're saying, get ready, lift up the ancient gates. This is a holy moment because the glory is coming in finally to where it's meant to be. And I would love, I don't, you know, I don't care if you can walk the downs, I'd love you to if that's awesome. But what I would love for you to do is spiritually weigh your knees out in prayer. Getting the ancient gates lifted up. You know, we need the Church of England to be restored and renewed. The ancient places of worship, the gates, to be lifted up for the presence and glory of God to come flooding in. We need the new streams, the new churches. You know, we need everybody, everywhere, lifted up the gates that the King of Glory can come in. Who is he? He's strong and mighty. Strong to overcome all of our stuff. And mighty Release His kingdom and His love and His grace and transform this land. Is that all right? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> now, I um, I didn't really want to preside over communion through a cold place set, so we just moved the table forward a little bit so I can see you and see your faces because it seems to me like communion is is remembering a meal, and it's brothers and sisters and it's family gathering around Jesus. So, you know, forgive us. I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll work it out. But that's why we're forward this morning. Uh, But just as we prepare our hearts, why don't we sing together, He is Lord, and let's lift up the name of Jesus uh, and sing together.